Ladies and gentlemen, are you ready to make 2023 your best September elk season yet? If you answered yes, my friends, you are in the right place. From the Western Huntsman Podcast and brought to you by Phelps Game Calls, welcome to the School of September, the most comprehensive September elk hunting podcast on the planet. Listen in to some of the world's most prolific elk hunters joining us to talk about strategy, calling elk, spot and stock, and closing the deal on some of our wildest dreams. From the Broken Time Studio to your knowledge toolbox, let's get one step closer to notching that tag. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to this episode of School of September for August of 2023. Today is August 4th, and we are inching ever so close, closely to our favorite time of year, which is September. And uh, you guys are in for a treat this month. And I, I don't know if this is going to be the last school of September of the year, but it might be. So I'm, I'm, I'm working on one more possibly. I just can't quite get it confirmed. So we'll see. If it is the last one, There, I can't think of anybody else better to have on the show for this, uh, for this particular series. Uh, Brian Barney, who's also with Eastman's, and he's kind of like the the main the, the the flagship podcast of the Eastman's podcast family. Uh if if you don't know Brian Barney, you've been living under a rock in in the hunting space. He's one of the most prolific archery elk hunters that I know of. Um and I'm just really excited to have him on. So Brian, appreciate you joining me, man. Oh, I appreciate it. Yeah, that's quite an introduction there, um, Jim. I'll have to I'll have to try my best to live up to it. But yeah, hopefully we can get the guys um, some good information that'll help them out for September elk hunting. You know, you're you're one of the nicest guys uh, out of all the podcasts I listen to. Uh, you're one of the nicest guys I've ever I've ever listened to. And so, tell everybody about you and and the podcast you host and and a little bit about your background, and we'll go from there. Yeah, yeah, sounds like a plan. So yeah, uh, I'm Brian Barney. Um, I started with Eastman's, um, gosh, in 2007, I started writing for them. And um, yeah, we've kind of built off that. And I had this idea about seven or eight years ago to start the podcast Eastman's Elevated and um, teamed up with Eastman's. And uh, yeah, it's been good. I, I share all the information that helps make me successful. And it's all uh, public land, do it yourself, and it's all um, blue collar bow hunts. And so, yeah, I try to share that knowledge that's helped make me successful over the years. And guys have really connected with it. And uh, proud to say that I've never missed a week on the podcast. And um, I hope it continues to improve and get better, and then just um, help this this community out that supports me uh, with the downloads each and every week, and get them the information. So hopefully, they can arrow their big bull or their big buck or whatever they're after yeah and then uh i saw because i i follow you on instagram obviously and and i saw you, you got to hang out with cam haynes this week huh i did yeah yeah it was a pretty cool opportunity to be able to uh go out to oregon out there go hang out with cam for a couple days go do the lift run shoot and then do a podcast with them um yeah i'm so appreciative not only for the opportunity to opportunity to be on his platform but also just the opportunity to to learn from his mindset and um yeah there was no sugarcoating it i think he tested me right off the plane i think we did um 
I did a small run off the plane just to make sure I was feeling right and get rid of the, the jet lag. And then, gosh, I think we did 20 some miles and three different peaks and all in about 90, 95 degree heat. So he's definitely the real deal. And um, I got the yeah. full experience and we laid down a podcast. It was super fun. Oh, that's so cool, man. I'm I'm pretty envious of that. Other than I don't know, I don't know that I'd want to go on a run with Cam, dude. I, he would he would leave me in the dust. I just I. It, but how cool is it that that you got to hang out with him and record and all that kind of stuff? He's such a cool dude. Oh, it was the coolest. Yeah, uh, go shoot bows, get a run in, get a lift in, and then um, yeah, real in depth podcast. Um, yeah, it was. Uh, uh, it was a great trip that that I definitely took something away from it, and then excited to see everything come out and um, see how he puts it together. So yeah, it's yeah. Uh, it's amazing, man, to have him reach out to me, and we don't, you know, we followed each other on social media, but yeah, I've I've um, I guess I met him one time in an airport from a show, but other than that, yeah, I just haven't had a a ton of interaction, and to have a guy, you know, that's that's um that I really respect and it's a, a great bow hunter um, have the, the same respect for me and appreciation and, and um, the same connection with a passion for bow hunting. It's just amazing, Jim. Yeah, for sure, man. I just, again, there's, there's a certain level of envy I have over that. I've, I've looked up to cam for a long time and you, you know, it's, it's, it's just always, it, it's good for like hunters like me need guys like you and cam. Uh, because you guys, you guys are so good at this, this art, this, and it's such an art. And there's sometimes there's a lot of us out there that, that go through this hunting thing and feel like we've got this blindfold on because we, we don't get it. There, there's something we're missing, you know, it's not connecting. And, and then we, we can watch you guys and, and the way that you put it together every year, it's really helpful for us, light bulbs start going off and, you know, and that's a, that's the point of school of September too, that this particular episode that we're doing is, is hopefully we've got people out there that are going to have a light bulb go off because you hunt differently than, uh, you know, I, I had, I've had everybody from Dirk Durham to Corey Jacobson to the elk nut to, you know, all these names out there that we know, um, talking about how they approach elk hunting and, you know, like you've got something different because you, I don't, I, I feel like you're more of a spot and stock guy. How can you, can you tell us a little bit about your elk hunting September type kind of philosophy that you go about and approach elk season with? Yeah, yeah, for sure. So, um, I am, I am a spot and stock elk guy. And so I hunt a lot of easy to draw units that are either general tags or zero to two, maybe even a three point unit. So I hunt a lot of high pressure units and, and, and hunting these high pressure units, um, over the years, I've called a lot of bulls in and, and shot bulls that I've called in. Uh, but as I started to grow in my elk hunting career, I started to set my sights on mature herd bulls. And those mature herd bulls that are six, seven, eight years old, you know, I started realizing that they didn't respond very well to calls. Like, you can still call in a bull like that. And calling bulls, you know, it may be the most effective tactic used. But when I really tried to zero in on these mature herd bulls in these high pressure public areas, like I just noticed you had to catch them in the right mood. And they, they might only be in that right mood one time a year. But if I was a spot and stock guy and I could get really proficient at moving in, at shadowing the herd or coyoting the herd, like I could target these herd bulls every day I was out in the field. And I still 
take part in the rut and I still get this thrill of the rut. And, you know, there's nights and evenings where I'll hear 300 bugles a night and I'm chasing giant bulls. I, I just, I keep the element of surprise. I don't let these elk know that I'm hunting them. Like what I found when I was calling bulls in is that, you know, if I would get the bull in the right mood and I'd call them in, they come in on such pins and needles, like such high alert. Mm -hmm. And a lot of times they don't give me the shot or don't give me the angle and the situation blows up. And, and so like, I just found that if I could just let elk be elk and do their rutting behaviors and let them bugle and chase cows and run off other bulls, if I could just get close to the herd and shadow them and then let that situation develop, like I would get a chance at that bull. So yeah, it's, it, it dawned on me one day when I was hiked like way back in the wilderness and I had found you know, just this dream bull, this seven point bull. And I, you know, I had been hunting for quite a few days. I finally located this bull with his cows. And so I made my move to get in above him in his bedding timber. And I had a good win and I thought, Oh, get in there and I'll make a couple cow calls. And I had made a couple cow calls and he responded back and I go, Oh, here we go. You know, he's going to come in and come in on a string and I'm going to shoot. I think it was a giant wide seven, you know, I, oh. uh, definitely 350 plus, like, I can't remember what the score was exactly. I just meet, uh, remember like a dream bowl. So I made these couple cow calls and he responds back to me and pretty soon I see him up on the ridge and he's taking his cows to another zip code. So here I am deep in the wilderness, found my dream bull, made a couple calls, and I just chased him out of the country. And I, I said, never again. And I've been leaving my calls in the truck ever since. And so, yeah, I just tend to keep that element of surprise. I take what the elk give me, move in. And, and you know, because I've been able to uh, really work at this craft at, at spot and stocking them, I've, I've become proficient at it where, you know, now I'm able to take you know, a great herd bull or mature six point plus like every single year using these spot and stock tactics. So I just think it's a great tool for guys to have in their toolbox and it might not be right for every scenario, but there's definitely a time and a place to just keep quiet and move in on those elk. So is, do you ever go to the field with calls or you, you said you'd, you leave them in the truck mostly. Do you ever use calls? Is there ever a situation where, where it makes sense? I don't. Um, I just reviewed an elk film from last year and they did catch some footage of me blowing on a couple cow calls and some thick timber, but no, I carried a call with me last year, but I had to borrow one from my buddy cause I don't even own them anymore. So no, I don't oh, wow. bring any calls with me. Uh, I go all silent. I feel like, um, when you carry those calls, it's almost like a backup plan. It's almost like something you just try like, um, you know, those elk might be in there and you might think, well, let's see if I can get a response or the, the, the stock game isn't working. And then you, you think, well, I'll bugle at him and see if he responds. And the minute you make those calls, you know, you're, you're letting those elk know that there's either another elk in there or a hunter hunting them. And, and they just know in these public units. And so I've just done better at totally keeping the element of surprise, not making a peep. And these elk, they bugle whether you're bugling or calling at them or not. Mm -hmm. So I'm still able to use that echo location of being able to hear them, move in on them. You know, I'm just not prompting it. But, yeah, it makes these elk, um, when you're hunting them, when they haven't been called at, 
they're so much less spooky than when they've been called to. It's just like hunting, almost like hunting a different species. Like you just keep that element of surprise and they're so engaged in the rut, in feeding, in, in their behavior that they're not even paying attention. And that gives me a chance to close in. So no, I mean, I think the last 10 seasons, um, that one cow call they caught on camera last year, they caught me by surprise. But other than that, no, <laughs> I don't think I've made a call in the last 10 years did you did you go back and watch the footage and think oh man they busted me cheating <laughs> <laughs> i so did i watched it last night i almost wrote a note to take it out of there but uh no i, I did make some calls and some thick timber i was moving through last season uh there's a bunch of bulls in that area and i just wanted to prompt like a bugle if i was getting close to that bowl as i was moving through a lot of that downfall stuff uh, so I'd made a couple calls. So, no, I did make the calls, and uh, they did capture it. So fair enough. It goes in the video. Yeah, for sure. No, that's uh, it's it's such an interesting dynamic of what what's important to each individual, too. You know, I'm a big-time caller. I, I, love, I love the vocalization of communicating with, with an animal. I don't care if it's an elk or an, a coyote, uh, wolves. Um, you know, a turkey even. I, I just really get a lot of enjoyment out of that, that vocalization and that communication. But it's not the thing for everybody. And and that's okay. You know, it doesn't it doesn't have to be everybody's thing. I don't know. One thing that I would wonder, because you've hunted all over the place, Brian. Uh, what about in super thick, dark timber, you know, that, that real thick country where maybe spot and stock might not bode so well? Is that, do you have, do you have like a thought on that? Yeah. So, you know, and I think each one of us have to build our hunting style as well. And one person's style isn't going to be the same as another person's style. And the whole deal with like this information and like having these, um, uh, these different proficient elk hunters that you've had on, it's like to try to take a, a page out of their book and be able to apply it to your own hunting. And so a lot of what I talk about, about this spot and stock, you can be committed to a call and you can still get information out of it because a lot of it, as you realize, Jim, being a caller, it, it's like not exactly the noises you make, but where you make them from. And mm-hmm. I see a lot of guys that are into these calls, they kind of abandon their elk hunting skills. They, they're not getting the bigger picture of what the elk are doing or where the elk are headed to or, you know, like they're just calling and getting their response and chasing after them instead of trying to, to move in front or paying attention that they're getting into their bedroom or there's just like this higher understanding of elk behavior that then you can use with your calling setups. And to answer your question, yeah, I do think, um, you know, hunting that thick timber, it does lend itself way more to calling uh, than say the open country, which is more spot and stock country. But I've been able to take these tactics, you know, throughout the West and multiple different units, all the way from super thick cover, which is um, where I was hunting bulls last year. These these elk were just refuging in the thick timber, and and the deal was is they, you know, they were feeding on meadow grass. But um, by the time the lights came on, they were out of those meadows, and so they were never in an opening during daylight hours where I could see them. Uh, so when I'm hunting elk that are in that thicker cover, I just have some like guidelines or rules that I use. So 
I want to be hunting elk when they're on their feet and they're moving. When they're bedded, there's uh, a bunch of different eyes looking around and they're really scanning for danger in there. And that's when I tend to blow up elk out of there. So I want to be hunting them mornings or evenings or when they're on their feet kind of moving and feeding and rutting. I seem to pick them up a little bit better. Uh, that way. And then I'm, I'm just using, you know, a lot of echo location where I'm hearing that bull bugle. I'm knowing his location, you know, I'm moving towards that location and then just really knowing when to slow down. Like anytime I'm exposing new country, I'm coming over a rise, you know, when I'm getting into fresh sign or I know that bull's right in front of me, it's really about slowing down my pace and glassing that timber in front of me and then picking up that that cow or that bull or that elk in the timber before they see me keeping that element a surprise. So I do agree with you that that thick cover does lend itself better to calling than, uh, you know, than the open country or, uh, the, I should say the open country lends itself to spot and stalking better than the thick timber, but I still use that tactic no matter where I'm hunting. Well, that's, that's, I want to focus on that for just a minute because I, I think that there's a lot of people you know, most of the school of September's of the past, we we basically only focus on calling elk and elk behavior, and you know things, real foundational things like hunting a full moon versus not hunting a full moon, those kind of things. But one of the things that people really struggle with that I've noticed from some of the feedback from from the show, or or just you know the the nice thing about. Um, like social media is you can kind of get a uh, take a temperature as to to how everybody's season is going. Let's say you come out of the field like halfway through September and and everybody's kind of doing their little reports, right? And and oh, I'm not hearing this, I'm not seeing that. And and the big thing is is people have a very difficult time locating elk, whether it's in some new country they haven't ever hunted or it's somewhere they go every year it just doesn't it doesn't seem to matter there's there's this big call for i'm not finding elk i'm not seeing elk i'm not hearing elk what what are you looking for in elk country when you're going into an area what are you looking for to determine where those elk are are most likely to be Jim, that's so smart. Yeah, you're you're keying in on like uh, uh, one of the major factors. Like I always say, you know, the key to killing elk is being into elk. If you're into them day yeah. in day out, you know, it doesn't matter the tactics you use. It's like you're you're just eventually going to get it right and going to get into a bull. So yeah, you're you're spot on. It's like one of the biggest challenges uh, challenges of elk hunting is just keeping yourself into elk, finding elk, locating elk, and these elk. Uh, they're, they're so difficult to hunt because they're so nomadic. So, Mm -hmm. you know, the, the elk in the mountains that we hunt in these Western States, uh, they can move a lot of miles and they use a network of feeding features and bedding features, and they move through a mountain range and can move miles overnight and relocate. So you can go into great elk country and you get in there and there's not an elk in there. Maybe they were in there last week. Maybe they'll be in there next week. And so, uh, really the key to, to locating elk, you know, it's finding likely habitat or good drainages that has, um, you know, all the, the necessary uh, feed, all the necessary cover, elk like it. And how I find that country is like um, just by by working my way up these drainages, up these ridge, ridge lines, I'm looking for scrapes, I'm looking for tracks, I'm looking for elk sign. And so uh, really like 
I keep really mobile during elk season. I have never had an elk camp that I can go into where I stay in the elk for 10 days. It just seems like they move through this country. And so I'm nomadic and really mobile as well. Like Mm -hmm. I'm in an area and I go in there and you have to be in an area at the right time. Like you can go, you can go into a drainage that's full of elk. And if you start hiking at daylight and you're in there by nine o'clock, they can all be quiet. You don't hear a bull, you don't see an elk and you think, Oh, there's no elk in here. So you got to be in the right places in the right times. But what I do is I just, um, I make pushes up these drainages, up these ridge lines. I listen, I glass every single opening and I, I get a really good feel for country. And when I'm in there at first light and covering this country, if I don't see or hear an elk, like, I'm not going to stick around and look for some phantom bull. It's like, I want to find the party of elk. Like, I'm just not looking for one herd or one bull. And sometimes that's how it happens. Sometimes I just find a good bull with a group of cows. But the majority of the time when I kill elk, like, I find the elk party where there's multiple bulls, there's a lot of cows. And really, like, these elk like being around other elk. So if I locate you know, a a herd of elk with a bull in there, I might make my way over there. And then I get over there and then I'll hear another bull bugling in the bottom or another one over the side or I'll glass another one up. Now I know I'm into them, you know, and and that's where I'll really start honing in and hunting them. But if I don't find elk and there's been places and times where, you know, I go hike up these drainages and don't find elk, I'm into a new spot the next evening. I'm into a new spot the next morning. And, And then I'm also like, I, um, and this sounds funny, so don't don't take my uh, uh, take take my word for it, like exactly. But I hunt them at night, and I don't mean that I'm trying to hunt or shoot a bull in the moonlight or try to call them in at night or anything like that. Oh, but what I'm doing is I'm li- <laughs> no, never. <laughs> but uh, what I'm doing is I'm listening to different places at night, like these these elk. Uh, they're so inactive in the middle of the day, you know, unless you're oh, really yeah. in a rut fest or you get the weather. So what I'm doing, they, they rut the hardest at night, and that's why the morning and evening hunts are so good. But at night, that's where they have the rut fest and the bugle fest, and they bugle all night long. And so I really use that to my advantage to locate elk, to put myself in elk in the morning. And so what I'll do is I'll, I'll cruise roads, and then I'll get out and I'll listen, you know, and just listen for bugles. I don't make a sound. I'm just listening for one to sound off or Uh, what I'll do is I'll set my tent or my camp like over a basin. I'll hunt different places, but then I'll camp there at night and I'll listen down in that drainage. And if I hear a bull down in there during the night, I know I can go hunt that bull in the morning. If I don't hear one, then I'm almost like, you know, I, I'm almost hunting, you know, three hunts a day. I'm hunting my morning, my night, and then, or my morning, my evening, and my night to locate these elk. So I use that nighttime. I'll even walk skitter roads. Like I'm not, covering a ton of country at night but i'm definitely like searching around just trying to hear a bugle trying to locate an elk so that's like a huge part of my game plan come september and then you know i'll catch a nap in the middle of the day when they're inactive uh and and then go Mm -hmm. hard to try to locate them so yep and are you so so you're just kind of you're not like in in the back country taking everything in on your back kind of thing you're you're you've got like little base camps just right off the road kind of thing uh, it just depends. I'll, I I use both. Um, so I use a combination of it. So when I'm hunting elk in the backcountry, uh, I, re- I usually load up, but I'm not loading up five or seven days worth of gear. I'm doing a one to three day rip into country. And so I go very light. I pack everything in my backpack. 
I get in there and then I just make a bivy sack camp, like kind of wherever I end up. And then I'm able to keep mobile and cover country. And so that works really well for me to be able to get back there the miles, sleep in there, listen, locate elk. If I don't find them, then I've usually got like a plan or a network of country where I'll make a big loop or I'll get to a connecting ridge line. I'll go check other drainages and I'll just move around for one to three days. And if I really get into elk and on the last day I'm into elk, then I'll, I'll pack out middle of the day and I'll refill my backpack full of two, three days full of stuff and head right back in there. But I really use a combination of doing that. And then also uh, day hunting from the truck, like where I will, just base camp from the truck and a truck is a tool it's like not something that i'm hunting out of or road hunting but it's a tool to be able to be mobile in the mountains and relocate and Mm so you know i can park in an area and go hunt a drainage for a day and if i find out great i can camp right there and hunt those elk for a couple days if i don't i can come back down to my truck and i can relocate three miles five miles down the road 10 miles down the range and then dive in there into another drainage and so i'm just heat checking all these spots and a lot of times it's more grueling my truck hunting than it is my actual backpack hunting just because i'll be putting so many miles to and from the truck so there's like a lot of times like we were talking about a location before we jumped on and hit hit record like i usually average you know 13 miles a day in that country sometimes more sometimes a little less even hunting from a truck so you know a lot of times that's even more grueling hunt than my backpacking hunting oh man for sure and i see i'm a a big and it this is going to be totally area dependent and and you know, like North Idaho uh, is is a great example. It's not like we have all these places where you can go 10, 20 miles back into the backcountry without hitting another road. You know, it's just it's it's very it's it's very different than somewhere say in like Colorado or or, or maybe central Montana, um, and you know even Utah where I grew up. Man, you could you could hit a trailhead and disappear for a week without seeing anybody else because th- there was some really remote country. North Idaho doesn't have a ton of that. It does have it, uh, but it doesn't have a ton of that. And so I, I have this policy where I don't do a lot of backcountry hunting. It's it's more, I like to be mobile because if I go 10 miles back and set up a camp and, and try hunting back there and find, come to find out there's no elk back there, or maybe the wolves have come through and blown them out, or maybe there's an outfitter that set up camp you know, back there on horseback and beat me back there, you're kind of pigeonholed. And so I, I kind of set a base camp in in one central location and one day i might hunt five miles from that camp and one day i might hunt 20 miles from that camp it just depends on you know what what the situation is and elk i'm finding and whatnot so um i always like to ask people uh especially like you brian where when when we're talking about people that are coming maybe how do i describe this elk hunting is like my thing right and it and and you bow hunting is like your thing this is this is this is like something we're we're super passionate about but there's a lot of people that it's more like a hobby and they're dabbling into it and they still want they have the desire to be successful but they don't spend all year thinking about it and planning for it and prepping gear and getting in shape and all these things that it takes to to be consistently successful so i i'm curious about talking to people like that for a minute what would you say would be like the top two or three things that most elk hunters do that cost them a notch tag? 
That's a great question, Jim. And boy, you're just speaking my language the way you camp and cover country for elk. That's just perfect. So yeah, the top two or three things that keep guys from notching their tag. And, and you're right. It's like, um, you know, when it's your thing or your passion or your pursuit, you work tirelessly to improve at it. But we're, we're all in different places in our elk hunting journey. And so, uh, yeah, I mean, I think the top three things that guys do wrong from elk, I think, you know, definitely hunting where there are not elk or looking for elk where they're not. It's like you have to be able to locate them. And there's a lot of country that doesn't hold elk. Uh, even though it can be good elk country, they're just not there right now. So like, I definitely think like, um, putting yourself into elk or locating them or making sure you're seeing sign or you're hearing bugles or like, you know, uh, listening at night as well to hear those bugles. So, you know, where elk are in the morning, like really working hard to locate these elk would be one. I think, um, yeah, there's a, a, a lot of guys that, um, cruise these roads and then bugle off their truck or they they just seem to almost call too much you know and um you know those those elk they they get pretty wise to that pretty quick in these high pressure units in there and so like i i definitely think that could be one of the mistakes that new hunters i'm just really trying to put my myself in the place of like a a brand new elk hunter and it and the deal is is like when you're a new elk hunter or what, wherever you're at in your elk hunting journey. And some guys just like to be in the woods and, and some guys, you know, like, like most guys are out there to try to kill a bull elk. And so, you know, I, I think it's just a matter of like trying to, uh, trying to learn and, and become proficient at locating elk and hunting elk and getting into them. And, you know, I think experience is the best teacher and we, you know, we all don't get the whole month of September in the woods or anything like that. But I think it's just using your time wisely. And, and, and really, it's like doing the little things. And, and it's stuff that we all know about. But, you know, I, I still see guys make mistakes where they're leaving their truck at, at daybreak, you know, instead of being into elk country by daybreak or, um, you know, staying on that vantage point until last light. Like uh, a lot of guys want to start hiking down and then be at their truck at dark or be back at their camp at dark, you know, to be able to start dinner. And I see a lot of guys like headed out of the mountains right when the elk are starting to show up. And so, mm-hmm. you know, they're just putting the effort in the wrong part of the day. They're, they're hiking around in a lot of that middle of the, the day when those elk aren't even out in the meadow features, when those elk aren't even bugling or making noise most days, you know, unless it's a rut fest or an exception or something like that. And so they're really hiking and hunting hard in this wrong part of the day and you really have to reset your mind uh and get in tune with like the elk hunting woods to really be putting your effort in in morning and night and then middle of the day you got to kind of take it easy and it's tough for like us working class guys to just sit back in the middle of the day and not do anything but for elk that's like the the best tactic you could use is just really put your effort in that morning and night when those elk are out and just doing those little things and i i also see guys blow encounters by just walking through wide open parks and just will walk into elk not paying attention and so like you really need to uh, make sure that you're being aware of your surroundings, that you're working the edge of the timber, uh, you're glassing into these openings and glassing in front of you. So you don't like bust the encounter before you ever get a chance at them, you know? So you got to see those elk before they see you. So just like using your, 
your your wood sense as well while you're hunting them and moving through and then you know paying attention to sign it's like man those those elk they stink when you get close to them and they make a bunch of tracks and so you know that's going to tell you when you need to slow down and really hunt your way through country or when you're getting close to elk or getting into elk so i just think like like just some of those little things that we all know about, but just paying attention to them and, and really being disciplined and diligent to make sure that you're that you're following through with the with the game plan is going to put you into more elk and it's going to gain you more opportunities, which is going to equal more dead bulls in the end. Yeah, yeah. That, I I think uh, you one of the things you nailed right there. Uh, it's it's something I I deal with. One of the units I hunt has gotten, you know, just over the years, it's it's gotten busier and busier, which is kind of expected, I suppose. Everybody's getting into archery hunting and whatnot, which is which is good, I think, for the most part. But what happens is, uh, you, you know, some of this country, you've got to get down into these just what we call them hell holes. You know, these these big the bottom of the drainage, you know, a thousand feet drop down into the bottom where the elk are at. And there's no there's no roads down there, but there's always a logging road up on top. And and these guys on these ATVs are always on those roads and they, they stop and bugle and turn the ATV back on and then they stop again and bugle again. And I just, I, I don't understand the mentality as to how you can't have a, a worse understanding of, of elk behavior and what they're aware of and how they react to things than something like that. Because, and then, and then what happens is, is, uh, you know, a guy that actually works hard and gets down into the bottom of that drainage and is actually close to the elk, you're buggering them out for them. And, and so, um, it's, that's like a real thorn in my side, brother. One hundred percent, Jim. Man, man it's you're, like... you're so right. And man, those elk—they know the difference between even a truck and an ATV or a side by side or dirt bike. Like those things do not like the noise of those, and they know hunters are on them. Yep. And yeah, it's almost like it's like human nature, right? It's like um, the the easy way or the you know. And it's not people trying to be lazy, but they just get on those ATVs, and then they don't want to get off of them, and so. They just end up riding them around and turning them off and calling. And, and those elk know exactly what's going on. And you're right. You're buggering up those elk, you know, not only for everybody else, but you're buggering up for, for seeing them in the evening or actually getting a hunt or a play on those things because they just don't respond very often to, to that setup, you know, unless you just catch a rut fest or they don't hear the vehicle or something like that. But I just find mm-hmm. like, just get off that thing, get out of your truck and just go for a walk in the woods. It's amazing what you see and you don't have to get that far off the road. Like I've been hunting giant bulls where I can hear trucks or ATVs going by cattle guards or, you know, they, they don't have to, not all elk are 10 miles back. No, either, you know, not at all. they use a lot of these country, a lot of this country right off this roads, but yeah, they're, they're not stupid and they've been hunted in these high pressure units. So the minute they hear an ATV, they know to shut up. And especially when you, that thing shuts off and there's a a bugle that sounds like a human that comes from it, man, Mm -hmm. it just turns all those elk off in the area and they actually like go on high alert and stop responding to the calls or may not even rut as hard until it gets dark. So you're absolutely right, man. It's like, um, that's a thorn in my side as well. It's it's funny. Last season, I I, I had parked my truck. Uh, this was I was going to go out for an evening hunt, right? And um, I, I parked the truck. I don't know. It's got to be like five o'clock or something. And I I let the truck. I when I do this, I'll let I'll I'll just stay silent for like five ten minutes. I don't make a peep. 
And then just before I go off of in this particular area, there's two directions you can go. You can go into the, you know, like the east side of this drainage or drop into this whole other drainage on the west side. So I have two options. So before I go in there, I, I always let off a little bugle uh, on that west side because I, I know I'm going into the east side. And it's just totally curiosity. Just see if something's, something's going to fire up. Um, nothing. I, I walk maybe 20 yards into the on into the east side and i well now it was probably it was 50 or 60 yards i but you know 30 seconds of walking basically let off another bugle and i've got three different bulls bugling back from the bottom of this other drainage and and so it's like they they can pinpoint the exact location of the road and and they they know exactly i mean they do this for a living they know exactly where that is and so yeah no i i just wish we can get that information out to more people so we're trying here at the western huntsman to uh, to show people that, that that is not the way. That is not the way of the West. <laughs> it's not the way to kill elk. Either. No, it's it not. just doesn't happen. Yeah, yeah, it just doesn't work. The problem is, is they've they've heard one person, you know, twenty years ago claim that they called a bull right to the road and then they shot it and the bull, you know, rolled right down the mountain and right in the back of the, somebody's pickup and and that was a hunt. So <laughs> you know, they're all looking yeah, for there, that. Magic. There's always that getting lucky too, but yeah, or yeah. they. You hear the one fabled story from 10 years ago. Yeah, it's so true. <laughs> so I am curious about how you go about, you had mentioned something earlier about when you're, let's say you're in some thicker, brushier country, you know, maybe some dark timber, um, western Montana, north Idaho kind of, kind of, or even like coastal Oregon kind of stuff, you know, whereas it's just a jungle and you're still using this spot and stock method and you've one way or the other, you've located some elk. You found a lot of sign. You smell them. You know you're you're within elk. And you said at that point you slow down and and you start working your way through the country and you and you're just at kind of a kind of a crawl. Can you describe that and like expand on that a little bit more? Yeah, you bet. So um, yeah, so I start working in this thick cover, and so usually in this thick cover, I've heard a bull in there, or I know there's some elk in there. Like you say, you know, I start seeing some sign, and I start realizing that I'm close to elk, I smell them in there and that I, I know I'm in there, but usually I want to have an echo location. So I want to hear a bugle of this bull, uh, you know, before I'm going to dive into this stuff or really start hunting them in there. But yeah, what I'm doing is I'm, I'm chasing a bull, I'm hearing them bugle in there. And so I'm kind of getting this echo location of where he's at, or if I am running into the sign and I'm starting to see him, um, like I see that sign, I know that I'm getting close and I start smelling them, then I'm really going to slow down. And yeah, elk hunting for me is all about pace at, at times, you know, I'm dang near jogging to try to keep up with the elk because they're moving from their feeding feature to their bedding feature. And, and then at other times I'm, I'm moving like a snail's pace to try to get in close to him. And so what I'm going to do is when I know I'm getting close to those elk, uh, I really start slowing down and I start using it's like a bit of still hunting. It's like uh, how you'd still hunt blacktails in in um, uh, Washington or Oregon or in that coastal country. Or it, it's like um, you know we use it in Hawaii where we go into the thicks after these axis deer a bunch. Yeah. And, and you just have to really slow down and still hunt. And it's really difficult to move slow. 
It, it's like everything in your body is telling you to hurry up or get to this edge or, you know, they're getting out away from you. But it's where you really have to slow down and watch your footballs and elk make noise. But I just don't want to let them know I'm hunting there. So I just start slipping through the cover. And what I'm looking for is I'm looking for a hard trail. Hard trails are like really quiet in that thick timber in the downfall or whatever it is. And also these elk are going to be using these trails as well. And so I'm going to get on one of these hard trails and it's just like, it's a feel and I'm really listening to my instincts here. So when my instincts are telling me to move slow, you know, that's where I've got to slow down or my instincts are telling me, Hey, that bull bugled, he's 300 yards in front of me. You know, like I can, I can move right now and I'll move a hundred yards and then I'll start slowing down again. But I'm, I'm really listening to these instincts. And once I start moving slow, I think I'm getting close or I think that bull's within a couple hundred yards in front of me. Like I'm actually taking three to five slow steps and then I'm pulling up my binos and binos like are not just for glassing open parks or for glassing long distances. They're also for glassing the timber. And so I'll take three to five steps and I'll pull up my binos and I'll just glass that timber all the way in front of me and around me. And I'm just looking to pick out an elk or pick out a bull. Like once I can get eyes on them, then it's like any spot and stock in any place in the nation that I'd hunt, whether it's wide open or timber, once I can see them, then I can read the elk's mannerisms. I can read their behavior. I can see if that cow's head is up and alert and looking for danger, or is it down feeding? Is the bull chasing the cows? You know, I can just tell what these elk are up to. And once I find one, then I'll start picking out another and another and another. And then what I'm doing is I'm just like taking what these elk will give me. So, you know, if I've seen these elk and they're down below me a hundred yards, like there probably isn't much of a move I can make at this point. Like I can't just move through this timber right at them and be able to close into 30, 40 yards of them. But if their heads are behind trees, if they're feeding, if I've got enough cover, well, maybe I can just keep slipping down this hard trail is they're not looking my way. Now, if their heads pick up, I have to freeze. And sometimes I'll freeze for uh, you know, maybe it's a minute, maybe it's five minutes, maybe it's 30 minutes. I have to freeze. And what I'm doing is I'm like taking what these elk will give me. So these elk are moving through this country. And so like I'm freezing when they have their heads up, when their heads are down feeding, maybe I'll grab a little bit more. And really what I want to see them do is I want to see them move off and like go over a rise. And after they go over the rise, well, now I've glassed around. I realize there's no elk around me that I see. They've all gone over the rise. Well, now I can make my way down this hard trail, move just a little bit quicker, move with intention, and then get to that rise. And then maybe I catch them over there in bow range over that rise. And what I'm trying to do is like the most important thing to me is keep the element a surprise. The longer I can play the game, the, the, the more apt I am to get this opportunity on this bull. And so I'm just trying to shadow the herd, not let them know I'm hunting them and, and really trying to get eyes on them at first. But once I have eyes on them, you know, then that's going to dictate what I can do, what I can get away with and what I can't. And I just let my instincts kind of guide me through that. And, and elk also like just learning elk behavior, like they like to move quite a distance from their feeding to their bedding but once they get to their bedding zone then they like to really mill around and feed around that area before they actually bed down it's a like a a great time to kill a bull and so you know sometimes 
my instincts are going to tell me, hey, if you get down and you crawl right here, this rise is going to hide your approach and you can get right into range. Or they go over the rise like I, like I mentioned, and then I can move with intention to that rise and then just creep up ever so slow, like the hands of the clock over that rise, because I know that bowl's right over the top there. And I'm just going to take a step or two, and I'm going to glass the country that's exposed to me. Take a step or two, glass the country that's exposed to me until I can pick up another elk. And I'm not just going to look where they went over the rise. I'm also going to be looking in my peripheral to my left and to my right, because it's always that cow you didn't see that busts yeah, you as yeah. you're moving in. I was going to so, ask you about that. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, hundred percent. And it, you know, it's it's like um, it's like any of these methods we use for hunting elk. It's not a hundred percent. It's just something that I've honed throughout the years that I have a pretty high percentage of. But I just let my instincts kind of guide me through it. And a lot of times, you know, there was a great big bull that I was hunting last year that was in the thick timber that he never knew I was hunting him, and I hunted him for three days straight. And the opportunity just didn't present itself. The last night I did have him in bow range one time and I, I made the decision right at last light to try to cross this park and get a shot at him. And I knew it was a bit iffy and I ended up blowing, you know, one of the cows caught me and it blew the herd out. But I had hunted that bull for three days without him even knowing that he was being pursued by me and I had him in bow range once, if not twice or three times kind of moving through the trees or he chased another bull up that I actually thought was another hunter. You know, as I was moving in on this big bull, I kept hearing this other bull. I'm like, man, he's getting closer, man. That hunter can really move some ground. And then I, <laughs> I see this other bull show up and he just had like this weird high pitched bugle or something, you know, and it was a, actually another bull, but I was about to drive myself crazy thinking it was a, <laughs> another hunter that was moving in or, yeah. uh, but, um, but yeah, I just, uh, the element of the, the element of surprise is like the biggest key for me. Well, um, God, that's funny. It, it, it makes me, it reminds me, I actually, I was calling and I thought for sure I had, uh, I, I had found Doug Flutie himself out in the woods and <laughs> I'm try, I'm, I decided, okay, I'll just mess with this guy. And so I called him in and I even thought I heard voices. Like I, like there was a couple of guys down there talking <laughs> and, and it was just a terrible sounding bugle. You know the kind like people go to Walmart and get get a bugle tube and go out hunting the next day. They don't even know what they're doing with it. That's what it sounded like. And then all of a sudden, this uh, he's like this small five by six steps out of the brush in front of me. And I'm not picky, Brian. I I'm not a good enough hunter to be super picky. So I I uh, I, I would have totally shot this bull, but I didn't. I didn't have an arrow knock, nothing. And he saw me before I could even react. So it's, it's funny you say that. <laughs> Totally missed out on that one, man. Um, <laughs> when, um, gosh, I had a great question for you because this is, it's such a different method and, and I'm really interested in doing this. When you're, when you're glassing in front of you and you're, you're just kind of slowly moving through the woods like that, is there, is there something, you know, that saying that, uh, you don't know what they don't know. Can you describe when when you've got your binos up? What are you looking for? Are you looking for movement? Are you looking for antlers? Are you looking for like the shape or the back or or color? Like what is it that's that's that you're kind of you've you've taught yourself through instinct and just years of experience that boom okay that that's an animal that's either a mule deer that's an elk that's a whatever you're after. Yeah, I think um, you know definitely in that timber. Uh, I think that that blonde 
color really jumps out at me. Mm-hmm. I think I'm really panning around looking for that blonde color. And it's amazing how I can have elk right in front of me that I don't see with my naked eye. And I just pull up after five steps and I pan around and I, oh, there's, there's a cow. Oh, there's another one. Oh, there's the bull. You know, it's like they're, they're right in front of me and my eyes didn't pick them out either the distance or in between the trees or whatever it is. And so, you know, like being able to, to pan and scan that timber in front of me, it really jumps out at me. And I think it jump out at you too, with all your, uh, elk hunting experience, Jim, is I think like when you pull up those binos and you pan through, it's going to be really obvious that there's an elk in front of you. So I'm not, you know, definitely I could catch a movement. I could catch a back line that's horizontal, uh, but really I think what jumps out at me is that blonde color, that light color. And so, uh, like I can just pan real quick through the timber and then I'm pretty confident there's no elk within eyesight of me and I can take my other five steps or 10 steps or however many steps. If I'm really close, then I'm only going to take two or three steps and I'm going to pan again. If I, if I've heard that bull and I'm chasing him and I think he's right there, I'm only going to take two, three steps and I'm going to pan through again. I'm just going to start moving really slowly. But if I think that bull's a little bit further and I panned around, I don't see any elk, then I'll take 10, 15, 20 steps uh, you know, and then I'll pan again through that timber, but it really jumps out on you. The, the blonde yeah. color, I think is what I pick out the most. Yeah. I think in, and I'm not speaking to, because I've heard some guys talking about some of these Roosevelt, you know, out in Oregon and Washington and whatnot, and, and how they, the, the coloring of that elk particularly really blends in with a brush. But I would, I would totally agree with what you're saying in, in this dark, thick country that I hunt, um, the, the color is the first thing I notice every time. Sometimes it's just a flickering ear, but usually, usually it's the color. So, uh, curiously, like, I, do you have an opinion, Brian? When you know how, like, there's two ways you could spook elk. There's the the elk know something is awry, but they don't know what, and they're nervous enough that they just start mo- moving off. They're not they're not trucking it, but they're they're moving out of there. Versus, man, you are completely busted. And they are three states away by the time you take the next breath. You know, there's that, that difference in the first one where it's like you you've you've not been all out busted, but they know something's up. They heard something. They may may have. I don't know. I feel like if they smell you, they're gone. But um, maybe they saw some movement that they're not comfortable with, or just didn't. You know, they have instincts as well. Maybe something instinctually told them maybe it's time to move down the mountain a little bit and just kind of mosey on out when when something like that happens because i i actually do this all the time and and i'm asking for selfish reasons because i i tend to when i bump elk they're not they're not like trucking it out of there but they know something's up and they're just kind of moving off what what do you do at that point are is it something would it make sense to start calling or would it make more sense to not call at all i know you're not a big caller but uh, would it make sense to maybe drop down the ridge and try to get in front of them? You know, what what do you do when they just kind of know something's up, it's not right, so they're not, they're just kind of moving off to maybe where they feel a little safer? Yeah, I know exactly what you're talking about, Jim. And, and a lot of times, like when these elk do catch movement, they they want to confirm that movement before they spook. So 
you know, that's where I'm going to freeze. Like a lot of times I see an elk right as it sees me, but if I just stay frozen, like they'll look at me for a while and they want to reconfirm that danger. And if they don't see it, then they may go back to feeding or they may go back to moving. And yeah, you're right. I know what you mean. Like when you lightly bump elk or sometimes these elk, they just like to roll country. And so they kind of feed for a while. And then after they're done feeding, they kind of move to this different stage of behavior where they, they stop feeding. They're not rutting. They just start moving country and they're actually moving to their bed. And, and I don't know if they actually have a sixth sense or if they're, it's a light spook or if it's just time to start moving to their bed where they start rolling country. And so, yeah, I'm going to make sure that I'm not reckless in this scenario where, you know, I don't want to blow them out of the country because, you know, again, like um, locating elk is such a huge part of killing elk. So once you locate them, like I don't want to blow them out of there. Just like that giant bull I was hunting last year, I hunted him for three days because I didn't give my position away because I didn't make those wrong moves because mm-hmm. I didn't get overly aggressive or reckless as i call it where i'm making moves where they can see me but that being said jim like if they start moving yeah i'm gonna start moving with them i'm gonna start trying to shadow that herd and trying to move with them and trying to pick them up in those trees and they go over the rise now i'm gonna go over that rise and you're right like um there's like a strategy to try to get in front of them or to try to cut them off or sometimes you can just keep with that herd and then they're going to get to a place, maybe it's a half mile, maybe it's a mile and they walk uphill and they're going to get close to that that bedroom or their bedding location. And then they'll start milling around just being elk again. And I've actually seen spooked elk like in open country. Uh, there was a, a – well, like in open country, I've seen them blown up either by me or by other hunters or whatever the case is where if you can keep with those elk and just keep sight of them. And sometimes, I mean, I'm, I'm jogging to try to keep up to them and I just get to the rise and I look over a a half a mile or a mile and I see them going over the next rise and then I'll race to that next rise. And then heck, I'll just barely catch them going over the ridge over there. And then I'll, I'll get to that ridge and then maybe I hear them bugle down below me, but these elk, they'll put some distance in between you and them or uh, between whatever spooked them or the country they were in. And they can relocate, you know, zip codes away. But sometimes if I can just keep with them, now they'll get in that drainage and I've actually seen them go back to rutting and they'll go back to just being elk. And then I've killed bulls that way just because I was able to keep with them and I found where they went. And maybe I don't kill them that morning because, uh, you know, I hear him bugle in that basin, but he only bugles a couple times and it's faint and then, you know, nothing. But I know where that bull relocated at. And so I'll be back there in the evening. Then I'll relocate him. And then, you know, he has no idea that I'm in the country. I get this totally new play out of, you know, so mm-hmm. it, it's again, it's like, um, you know, it's definitely going to be different or scenario based, but yeah, I'm doing what you're trying to do, Jim. I'm going to try to keep with them. I'm going to try to cut them off. I'm going to try to do everything in my power to try to give myself an opportunity or figure out where these elk are going without being reckless and totally blowing them up out of the country. Cause you, you know, when you bust elk and then like the second scenario that you described, where it yeah. sounds like it's a, a herd of cattle that are moving through the timber, just blowing <laughs> up through there and they're not going to bugle anymore more they're not going to call anymore they're just getting the heck out of there and especially in thick cover those elk are going to be tough to ever find again because they're just relocating and putting miles between the danger and them because they really 
they use distance as like their safety. Like mm-hmm. the the one difference between elk and all other species that I've ever hunted, including red deer, including mule deer, including all of these animals, like they really use their their legs and their fitness and their ability to cover country to put distance in between you know the the animal that's chasing them or the danger or the human uh, in between you and them or even like they just start marching uphill you know because they yeah. know that animals can't keep with them uphill so I think that's the real difference between elk and other species is they can roll country uh, but I, I think I'm doing exactly what you're doing when that happens. Well, so on that on that latter scenario where you're you're full on busted and they they you know they're in like Mexico, <laughs> that's what it feels mm-hmm. like. And they sound like a bunch of dinosaurs running down the mountain. It's it's almost like there's an earthquake and they're gone, right? Um, before I ask that, the, the one of my favorite quotes when it comes to elk hunting that I've that I've ever heard is "Fall in love with finding elk, don't fall in love with an area." So I want to clarify that before I get into this. But there let's face it, there are certain areas that just have this tendency to be always packed with elk. I I have like four or five of these spots around, you know, a very large <laughs> a very large area. I I know that at some point during September there's going to be elk in there. And so I don't ever focus on going back to the same spot I saw a bull five years ago. You've seen hunters do this, right? Where maybe they saw a big bull in 2015, and now they 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 spend and waste all this time going back to the same spot to check to see if that bull's back or there's another bull in there. There's that aspect. And then there's legitimate, uh, for lack of a better term, which I hate this term, but honey holes. There's legitimate areas where you know that I, I have this particular mountain. I, I know that there are elk on it every September, and, and I always get a lot of action up there. I love it. Uh, it's really challenging, though. The wind is so funky on this thing. Um, one, one day, Brian, they're going to make a mistake, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to nail a big bull up there. Um, so anyways, let's say somebody has a spot like that. They're really excited. They've got this spot where for years they've always got action. There's always elk. But then they just absolutely blow these elk out. Do you have an opinion as to when those elk will be back? Man, that's a great question. I love your quote. And boy, Jim, you don't give yourself enough credit. You're a real intelligent elk hunter, the way you approach it and pay attention to the terrain and the elk. Um, But yeah, that's that's a great question. So I don't do very good waiting for elk to show up. I like even in great elk country, I just don't like to wait for them to be there. Even if it's good country, like I like to go out and find them. And so I'm with you. I do have these same locations like you do where uh, I just know that it's a really good elk terrain. Is there elk in there all the time? A hundred percent every time I go in there? No, but they, they really utilize and like this country uh, when they feel hunting pressure, they get pressured into this country because maybe it's got a lot of cover. It's tough to glass. And so, you know, I do have these really likely good elk spots that I'll frequent and I'll go in and try to locate elk in there. But yeah, when I bust them out, um, you know, when I bust them out, I don't do good waiting for elk to show up. But what I do find, too, is some of these honey holes, like I think I bust a bull out of there and they take off and I think, oh, it's it's over. You know, it's like uh, never going to be here. I got to go find another one. And I I actually made that mistake last year, that giant bull that I was chasing. I got some great pictures of him. I was really close to killing him. 
uh, that last night when I pushed it that I told you about, there was two bulls in there. He was right there at like, you know, I just needed to close these 20, 30 yards through this opening. And then, oh. you know, I had him right there and the elk are all feeding around. And I made that move and got fairly aggressive and I got caught by a cow and they blew up out of there. No more calls that night. They're gone. And I'm just thinking exactly like you did, Jim. Like, God, I've messed it up. You know, here <laughs> I got aggressive. I should have just been patient. I could have hunted them the next morning, the next day. I think I busted this elk out of there. Now, it worked out for me. I used my method, and I went to a different area. I located a great six-point bull, and I ended up arrowing them in this other area. Nice. But my buddies continued to hunt that area. And my buddies continued to hunt that giant bull for the next two or three days. So that bull, he liked that area so much that he ran and chased out of there, but he kept right in that same zone. Like maybe he moved over to uh, an adjacent drainage or he moved back into the thick cover and sure he didn't call that much that night, but he was right back in that same area for the next couple, two, three days. And my buddies actually got chances at him in there, never fired an arrow at him, but we're chasing him around that same, we called him the dragon. You could just hear his bugle. <laughs> One of I those old ones. It was just so raspy and just yeah. like he almost like a, uh, sent chills down your spine every time you heard him you just know you're listening to an eight-year-old or older bull and then his body size just this belly in this chest i'll send you a picture of him oh, here yeah, when I'd we get off the call that. or whatever yeah, yeah. he's just his body is just giant but the dragon and and you know if i just would have kept in there and kept hunting and gave it another hunt you know maybe i would have killed that giant bull and i i killed a great bull and i've got no regrets from last season but I think sometimes when you blow them up, they like that area so much that they don't go as far as I think they do. They didn't relocate zip codes away. They just stayed in there. But yeah, mm -hmm. I don't do real good waiting for elk to show up. I, I like to go find them. Yeah, I'm like that too. You know, it's it's so funny you say that. I have just recently got to the point where I can I could sit in like a um, where I'm at. We've got these giant public land whitetail bucks. And in November, I've just like the last, I don't know, maybe three, four years, I've gotten to the point where I could put in a good four hours in like a deer blind. I've never been able to do that. And it is rough, Brian. I, I'm not the kind of guy that could sit in a deer blinder or a deer stand. I'm too antsy and I, I grew up hunting mule deer, you know, so it's uh, totally new for me. But anyways, I'm, I'm kind of the same way, but I do have, I get that question a lot. Like, you know, hey, if I blow them out, do you think they'll be there the next day? Uh, usually not. I, I, you know, for me, I'm, I'm, if, if I have a spot like that and I blow them out, I'm giving it like three or four days, but you know, I, I think everybody's different and I think elk too. And, and I'd love to get your take on this, Brian. I think elk too. You, you know how, when you've been hunting a long time and even, even when you're talking to like some of these old salty hunters from, you know, they, they've been, they were hunting in the sixties and seventies. And, and there's this instinct about, about them. And sometimes that's even what makes them not very good teachers because they're so beyond the, I don't know what you don't know. They, they, they focus on these really advanced things and don't teach people like basic things. Right. But they're, they're such instinctual hunters. And I think you're like this. Uh, I've, I've seen videos of you hunting mule deer. You're like one of the most instinctual mule deer hunters I've ever met. And, and so like, Animals too have this instinctual side, and and they have it's almost like this sixth sense. They know if that mountain's clear. They know if 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 it's okay to go back up there, and and it's something that we can never pick up on. Um, 
I don't even know where I, where was I where was I even going with this? Oh, um, yeah. So uh, you just make a really good point, right? That these these elk, uh, the their instincts, that they're all different, right? And they all have different behavior, and they have the same tendencies, and, and they act similar, but they also get their own personalities, and they also. Uh, they get to learn their habitat so well where they, they can tell if hunters are in there or aren't in there. They can tell when they're being pressured or not being pressured. And, and also, you know, these elk, they just interact with the landscape differently. Like a, like an elk, you know, in, in, in Idaho is going to act different than a, than an elk in Montana. They just interact with that habitat differently. Mm-hmm. I, I think was the, the point you were trying to make is that these elk have instincts as well to their behavior. And they have such a knowledge of the terrain that they live in. It's like, yes. you know, like two weeks ago, uh, I, I, I came home from work, which is a pretty rare thing. I came home for lunch. Uh, usually I'm working way too far away to even do this, but um, I, I came home. My wife wasn't home. I came in, made a sandwich. I was home for like 20, 30 minutes and turn around and left. And my wife gets home a couple hours later. And like, I thought I cleaned up the, the little sandwich mess that I, I made, you know, she knew I was, she knew somebody was there. She had known somebody was there. I got busted. Like maybe this little crumb was somewhere or, or I didn't clean the mayonnaise off the knife or something when I made a sandwich. And, 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 and you know, it's like that elk are so intimate with the areas that they live in i think that we sometimes take uh, take for granted the fact that this is where they live all year round yes we could be great woodsmen we could be great we could watch all these youtube videos and listen to a bunch of podcasts and think we know all about elk and the environment they live and some of their behaviors but the bottom line is, is they're there all year round and and they do this for a living and and so the that aspect of how intimate they are with with their surroundings and and knowledgeable of, of the terrain that they live in I think is something that people take a lot of uh, you know they just take it for granted and and the way to overcome that I think is is uh, experience like like you've got I feel like you're you're the kind of guy you could put in a helicopter and not tell you where you're going and drop you off with a bow and you're gonna find an elk and you're gonna kill an elk and and that comes from experience and knowledge and and understanding the elk and the animals and and what you're going after and so why don't we uh let i i don't i don't want to keep you too long today but um can you tell everybody where they could find you on some of these videos that we're we've been talking about and uh and we'll go from there yeah yeah happy to i i just think that last point you made is uh so good jim like uh these elves, they survive to be a four or five, six-year-old bull or an eight or a nine or ten-year-old bull because of the way that they interact with the landscape. They know escape yes. routes and they know where hunters are coming from. They know that they're coming up the roads and they learn how to avoid these hunters, how to escape from them. They know how to hike up this hill. So to kill a bull elk, you have to be better than the other hunters that have chased them in all the years past, you know, and they're really keen instincts. Like, you know, they don't reason like we do, or they don't think like we do, but they listen to their instincts and they're so in tune with their environment and so in tune with the predators that are chasing them. And so you're right. The way to beat them is to hone our own instincts. And the, the way we hone our own instincts is by taking in, you know, the knowledge from like, uh, 
uh, the podcast that you're putting out or this September series, but you take this information and you apply it into your hard drive and then you apply it to your own experience and you get out there and you have this experience with these elk and you really pay attention about how they beat you or you pay attention to how they move through the landscape and where they're feeding and where they're bedding. You get like this understanding of how these elk are interacting with the habitat and, and then just listening you know, once you hone your instincts, like your instincts, you know, it's like your decision-making ability. It's like you don't want to have to sit down and write some complicated math problem to figure out where you're going to hike into. Like you just got to hike and you hear a bugle and you go, okay, I'm going left. And then as you go left, you go, oh, here's a hard trail. And also like taking notes about the wind, like more hunters have been busted by the wind than anything else. So really learning your mountain range and how the thermals affect it and the directionals, really taking notes at different times all the way throughout the hunt, not just when you're chasing elk and then paying attention to forecasts and, oh, they're forecasting a southwest wind. How do I think it'll blow up this drainage? When do I think the thermals are going to change? Like I love in the evening when the hillside starts to get shaded and I get those constant downhill thermals i know i've got mm -hmm. you know a great consistent wind that i can trust or right away in the morning for the first hour before the sun starts to warm up that valley floor i know i've got a steady downhill thermal and and creative thinking is rewarded as well like uh i was on a bull last year i didn't kill the bull but i had a good game plan and got pretty close but instead of chasing these elk up the mountain every morning like everybody else was doing hearing the bugles and chase them it's like I know where this elk is headed. I know where his bedroom is. And even though I've got a downhill thermal for the first hour, I'm just going to huff it and I'm going to get up there. And then these elk are going to be working into me. And about an hour into the day when the winds switch, now I'm up where he's at, where I'm always hearing him bugle, where I'm always trying to chase him. You know, So yeah. this creative thinking, this listening to our instincts, honing these instincts, like really listening to them. And when you make a mistake, you really look at it and drop your ego and go, gosh, you know, you know, maybe I should have done this, or maybe I should have waited a little bit longer. And that all downloads into your hard drive. That's going to affect the next decision you make on the next bowl that you find, but really, uh, uh, honing in on these instincts and trying to get good at your decision making. Like, I really think that's what kills elk. So man, I just think it's such a great point you made. Yep. I love it, man. I, I like I, these conversations. They get they get me so pumped, man. They I, I'm just so excited for this season. It's just been it it's been such a quick year. I'm like I'm still surprised that it's it's already August fourth and and September open or I'm sorry, uh, elk season opens in like three and a half weeks for me. I, I'm still blown away. I I I just can't express how. I don't know. You get as as you get older, the years go by faster, man. <laughs> and I, I hate oh, they it. sure do. <laughs> it just uh, just feels like because last September, after I'd shot that bowl, uh, I I had liver hit him, so I let him sit uh, overnight, and and I came up the next morning, and that's when I, I had my my truck. I don't know if you know about this. My truck caught on fire as I was going oh up gosh, to recover yeah. my bowl. Man, it burned to the ground. The truck burned what? to the ground, had my pistol in it. I, I saved my bow, saved my pack, um, but I lost a lot of ton, uh, just a ton of stuff in this fire. I'm still butthurt about it. Lost my laptop. I had a laptop in the in the truck, but anyway. Jim, that's uh, horrible. How'd the truck catch on fire? I have to know the whole story now. <laughs> oh, yeah. So I, I, it sounds like, because uh, what what I explained to like the sheriff and the fire guy that, that, that come up there, I think he was like the fire chief of that area. Um. 
is, you know, all of a sudden my brakes were gone and I could smell this burning brake fluidy smell kind of thing. And, and I'm like, I'm coming around this corner and I, I, I go to hit the brakes to slow down for the corner and my truck doesn't stop. And so I pulled the emergency brake and just kind of drifted into this open area, uh, and, and stopped and all of a sudden smoke's coming out uh, from underneath the hood and flames start shooting over the the windshield. And so I backed the truck off the road into this more open area where, cause you know, it's September, it's dry, real brushy area. I don't want to, I don't want to be responsible to start a forest fire. That was my biggest concern. And, uh, Anyway, it just kind of grew from there, and next thing I know, I've got boxes of ammo popping off, and the whole truck's just melting down into nothing. And it was a sweet truck. It was a Toyota Tacoma, like a 2016. Um, so if anybody from Toyota's listening, uh, you owe me some stuff, folks. But no, <laughs> kidding. But it, So anyway, to get back to your question, it sounds like the line that was uh, – I'm not super mechanical, man – uh, but the brake line kind of came apart and was dripping brake fluid onto a hot manifold, and that flash point was just enough to start a fire, and 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 it just kept it just kept feeding it with that brake uh, brake fluid, uh, and yeah, it, it I mean it just I had a I had a thirty foot ladder on this truck, and it like melted this fiberglass ladder, um, it just yeah, all sorts of stuff. It was crazy, man. I'm still I'm still blown away it happened. It cost me my bowl too. Uh, cause I, you know, my truck burned down. I was only like a mile from where I'd parked to go, uh, where I knew I was going to find that bull piled up. And he was probably maybe a mile and a half, two miles from the road. And, uh, so yeah, I couldn't get over there. Uh, I had to have my wife come and pick me up. I was like six hours from home. It was crazy. Jim, that is so wild. <laughs> I, wild? Uh, boy, if you that is some bad luck. Like that's beyond bad luck. I've never heard anything like that. Such that bad is luck, absolutely man. wild. Well, you're you're in for a redemption season then for sure. Uh, man, oh man, yeah. that is crazy. Yeah, it was nuts, man. Then I what when I finally found the bull. This was a few days later. The crows took me to it. Somebody somebody cut the horns off already and and got off with them. Um, just a, it was just a blow all around. Anyway, not, how did I even get on that topic? Oh, and how fast it was since the truck fire to all of a sudden now it's elk season again. Cause that was like September 28th when that happened. And, uh, and now here it is, we're knocking on September's door. So, um, what kind of season do you have coming up? Let's, let's kind of wrap it up with that. Yeah. Yeah. I got a, I got a good one for sure. Um, yeah, I started off, I've got uh, a mountain goat hunt at the beginning of the season here. So yeah, that'll be the first oh, one man. that kicks it off. A couple yes, high country mule deer hunts that I'm going on. Uh, and, and then I'll start elk season. I really dedicate a lot of time to elk season. I, I just love chasing these big mature bulls and to have a Montana tag, you know, I'm a resident here in Montana and, yeah. and um, so yeah, I've got a good plan for Montana, I'll use some of those same tactics that we were talking about where I'll hunt um, some roaded country that's really good to me. And then I'll also hunt some uh, wilderness or back country that I'll backpack into and, and I'll give myself plenty of time in there. And it, we have real liberal seasons here in Montana, which is nice where we can bow hunt like all the way till mid-October. And I find some great elk hunting in October as everybody leaves and the elk will still be rutting. They get in big groups. And so, you know, I get some great elk hunting late in the season as well. So yeah, I'll be pretty focused on elk. I've got a uh, an antelope tag in there somewhere, oh. but it, it pairs really good with elk as well, where you can kind of hunt elk 
morning and night and hunt antelope the middle of the day. So I'll find some time for that. And then a couple late season muley tags. So it'll be a full season. Heck yeah, man. You're, yeah, you're, yep. you're, uh, your schedule's full. Oh, it's full. Yep. Yep. I, I got it. a bunch of great adventures lined up. So yeah, it all kicks off here. Um, I think I fly out next Sunday is when it all starts and then it's pretty much back to back to back. So, um, yeah, yeah it should be a, should be an absolute ride. I'm pumped for it. Yeah. I'm pumped for you. That's, that's going to be, that's, that's a heck of a lot more busy than my season so far. So, um, that's that's gonna be fun. I'm gonna be. It's gonna be fun, kind of watching you put it all together and seeing seeing how it goes for you. And and uh, you know, I'm I'm just looking forward to it all. I, I'm uh, I'm really excited about your your sheep tag. Uh, that's that's gonna be a, a ball. Um, but yeah, yeah, it's, cool, it's a goat tag. It's it's a pretty unique opportunity. Like I I'm just really fortunate. Like I've got a buddy up in BC. Oh, did you that's say a, it's a goat tag? Yeah, yeah, it's a goat, oh, goat tag. But but you're actually right, as that. Um, I, I will get a chance. Well, let me tell you about. It. I got this this buddy that's a that's a guide up there that works for an outfitter, and um, so you know I've been working, you know, or I've been talking with this guide and keeping in touch throughout the years. And he's like, man, you should really put a hunt together up here. And I looked at it and looked at it, and finally able to work out a deal with the outfitter where I get to go up with my buddy that's a guide, and so it'll be me and my buddy. He actually has a goat tag as well, and I have a goat tag in just this gnarly mountain range up there in bc so yeah i get to team up with my friend up there and um go hunt goats and then the deal is is um jim after we get done or if we fill out i've got quite a few days up there he actually has a stone sheep tag with his bow and so you know i won't be hunting him but i get to tag along and take photos and help him out and just see the rugged terrain and i've never even put my eyes on a stone sheep before so it's a pretty amazing opportunity that i'm really excited about and those goats they're just in the gnarliest most extreme habitat you can find so um really excited for that one it's going to be a fun experience heck yeah man what a season that's going to be that's that's going to be great man i'm I'm really looking forward to make sure you keep us all posted where which by yeah, the way where, uh, where can people find you yeah so um i'm i'm most active on um instagram social media that's brian underscore barney there you can always uh see what i'm up to or catch up with me on the podcast i do a uh, guess and then i also do solo podcasts or updates throughout the season there and that's at eastman's elevated you can get that anywhere where you get podcasts and then there's some videos that we're talking about in fact that that elk video that we talked about a lot today, like hunting the timber and chasing those bulls, the bull I arrowed, we filmed that all last year. So you can find that on Eastman's Hunting TV on YouTube on there. And that elk hunt will be released here, I think, in the next couple weeks. And then also, you know, there's some other elk hunts and mule deer hunts on there as well. So you can find those. Right on, man. There's tons of content out there, guys, with with Brian, um, and and it's it's worth watching. You'll you'll get a lot out of Brian. You have you have this way of of delivering information that's very understandable to people, and I think that that's why people are so endeared to you know listening to your podcast and watching your videos and stuff like that because your delivery is is very and I don't even know if you try to be educational but it's very educational and and you just have a way of of delivering it in a way that people can understand that is not you know sometimes you watch these videos and it just kind of blows over people's heads like I don't even know how that happened I don't know yeah I don't know if I'm even explaining this right but you've got like the the I hear somebody talk about call it the heart of a teacher 
and and you just deliver it well. And so uh, I appreciate you joining me on this podcast. I I know that the audience is going to get a lot out of it and love it. And so I, I just really appreciate it. And thanks for coming on the show. We're going to have to do this again, maybe a season recap for you or something. Yeah, I really appreciate it. Definitely going to have to do it again, whether it's on your platform or mine. Uh, but I really enjoyed the discussion. Um, yeah, you're, you're really uh, uh, in-depth. Like, your questions are really good. You're really uh, – you can tell you're so passionate in into the subject matter and you're you're really looking for uh for for answers you know like like you mentioned for yourself but also for the audience so jim i'm really glad we got a chance to connect and yeah this definitely can't be the last time yeah for sure i i really appreciate hearing that man so um, uh, yeah, just stick on the line for a minute, but, uh, I just want everybody to hear, um, yeah, lo- really look up to you. think, uh, you're, you are, and I told Dan Picard this as well, uh, between you and Dan, you guys are like the two best mule deer hunters I've ever seen. And it's just, uh, it, it, it bodes well for people that are trying to learn this stuff because you guys, you guys are really passionate about sharing this information and we all appreciate it, brother. Yeah, absolutely. And check out, we've, uh, Dan and I have a new podcast that we're doing together. Oh, that's it's right. It's called Eastman's Bowhunting Journal. So we're 10 episodes in, but you talk about, uh, information heavy on there. So me and Dan, they call us the Bowhunting Brothers at Eastman's. And basically, anytime that, that we're together with the Eastman's, you'll find Dan and I off in a corner, off on our own table, and we're always talking in-depth bow hunting. So mm-hmm. we just started to hit record, and his episodes are always so popular on the Eastman's elevated format. And so we just had this idea that, hey, let's just get together every couple weeks, and let's just dive really in-depth into bow hunting and, and into the tactics and into the setups and into you know, everything that, that we would normally be talking about anyways. And so mm-hmm. uh, we started this podcast and, and yeah, it's, um, it's done really well so far and guys are really liking it. So you can also, uh, get some more content on there, some more information for sure. Heck yeah, guys. Don't, don't miss out on that kind of stuff. That is this kind of stuff. You're going to find yourself on a mountain with, with your bow in your hand and it's going to be this very unique scenario and you're going to be standing there and and all of a sudden the information you hear on one of these podcasts is going to pop into your head and you're going to be able to seal the deal because of it so that's that's the magic behind it and so uh again brian thanks a bunch for joining me man let's just keep in touch and and uh, we'll talk soon yep sounds great jim you made it that's the end of the episode thank you so much for tuning in Please make sure you're following us on Instagram at the Western Huntsman and write us a good review at Apple Podcasts. Thanks, guys. See you next time. Stay Western, and I'll see you on the mountain.